Hello everybody, Adam here, host of the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. I just want to let you know that the show is sponsored by Scene Stealers and is part of the Scene Stealers Retro Podcast Network. This interview with Andre Gower was a video interview. Obviously, this is the audio only, so if you would like to see the full video interview, it is on my Facebook page and the link is in the description. Right, it says avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. So, Shiv, Andrea, you're being recorded. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> avoid legal snags by wearing pants, also. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Andre, so excited to have you uh, join us for this call. Super, super excited. But I bet you I'm not as excited as this man right here, Shiv, who is your, the Monster Squad's number one fan. Aren't you, Shiv? Oh, man, big time. is an honour. <laughs> number one? Wow, that's uh, that's saying a lot there, Shiv. That's, uh, that's high up there. That's pretty rad. Thanks. Oh, man, since <laughs> I was 10 years old. Well, I'm yeah. glad we got to uh, hang out for a little bit here. So it's good. Yeah, man, it's an honor. Thank you so much. Thanks, yeah, Adam. Sure, sure, no problem, mate. So Sheriff's my pal, obviously. And I says, oh, I'm going to be speaking to Andre. Do you want to come on? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. So glad to have <laughs> you on, Sheriff. Absolutely. Where? So where is everybody at right now? We're both in Scotland, my and Sheriff. Okay. I'm in what, Falkirk. What part? Oh, Falkirk. okay. Yeah, and I'm on uh, the east coast. I'm on the east, just opposite Edinburgh, Andre. Okay. So, so like on the St. Andrews side? I mean, on the St. Yeah, Andrews yeah, side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm only like half an hour from St. Andrews. North or south? Yes, I'm south of St. Andrews. Okay, so let's see. The closest I've been, I, I've been to Scotland once. I got uh, okay. a great opportunity. It was always on my, on my list, and I'm a golfer too. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was a little bonkers because... I got to go to St. Andrews with a group and I got to play four awesome days. And the only time I went south of St. Andrews, we went to Kings Barnes nice. and then uh, we went north up to Carnoustie and uh, then mm. we, the rest of the time we went to Andrews proper. So that was awesome. So thanks for having me. <laughs> Beautiful place. How long ago was that, Andre? Let's see. I think that was like 2015, 2016. Yeah, two, uh, summer of I want to say yeah, I want to say fifteen. Fantastic. If, if you're a golfer, yeah. you have to come to Scotland, don't you? Yeah. You, uh, you absolutely do, and I was certainly fortunate enough to do that trip. But uh, it's not saying that I want it to be the only one. <laughs> no, but, and and I hope you brought a coat because <laughs> no doubt it rained when you were here. Here's the awesome thing about that trip. We play, I was there for like five and a half days, which isn't long enough. We played four days and it was in June and we had fabulous weather, no, no rain and no wind for four days. It was awesome. Wow. Wow. So, so we, we got very lucky. <laughs> it, 
it does happen sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, apparently those four days was the only time that it ever happened. So good. Uh, you know, not not saying that I wanted some of the Scottish weather experience while I was trying to, uh, you know, shank a ball into the hotel. But uh, <laughs> you know, it, it would have been nice to have it. But I'm glad it didn't because uh, I wasn't playing well that year, and uh, now I'm playing well, so it's fine. <laughs> good. It, and if you ever come, if you ever come back to Scotland, give us a shout. Yeah. We'll oh, that's that's yeah. that's totally happening. So we got to figure out a way to uh, and a reason when the world starts turning again. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like when, when things start everybody just kind of hit pause and, and like, come on, guys, we all have stuff to do. Let's let's take care of this now. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about Wolfman's got nods. I, I've seen this um, uh, a week or so ago. Uh, Brittany sent me the link, Andre. And uh, I watched it, and I loved it. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. I don't know if you. I don't know if you use this as a yardstick for success, but I noticed today that it's a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes with the uh, with the critics. Yeah, it's it's weird that that um, that that outlet Rotten Tomatoes has uh, become sort of a, a measuring stick and a barometer for whatever success is nowadays yeah. you know is is success pop is popularity on social media is success uh in what is now box office which we don't have any anymore but <laughs> uh you know on whatever sale you know whatever revenue comes in or is it just if you know a handful of people <laughs> like it um but no that's awesome to have on rotten tomatoes and interestingly enough uh it's uh, it's going strong and you know and Rotten Tomatoes is based on reviews and, you know, yeah. and actually uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes accredited reviewers, I guess. And luckily that's in a way. So it's not just everybody that's kind of, you know, has a laptop that can be a, a movie critic or a reviewer, which doesn't mean those people don't count. They actually count more than the than the established <laughs> journalists sometimes because yeah. there's more of them in there and their voice is louder. Uh, but you know, to have that critical review is always something that everybody strives for. Uh, and what you hope for is that the majority are positive or at least pull something out of whatever you've done, uh, that they can enjoy or that they like, uh, you know, and then you're just going to have some that just don't get it or don't like it. And that's totally fine. But you know, your goal is to have, you know, at least a majority. And w so far we've had a pretty good, strong majority. Uh, and it's only been a couple weeks. So, uh, yeah, we'll exactly. see how that continues to go. <laughs> well, like I say, I saw it before it was officially released, and uh, I absolutely had to use that opportunity to rub it in to Sherv uh, to, <laughs> to let him know that I'd seen it. But then, yeah. but then when it was then <laughs> I made, I sent him a text saying, "Guess what I'm watching?" And he was like, "And I sent the, a picture of the poster <laughs> that you've got behind you there, Andre." And he was like, "No effing way." <laughs> But then, but then when it was released, Shiv, I saw you put on Facebook that you were watching it, and you yeah. you come and you put on saying, "Best movie documentary ever." Yeah, by far, definitely, Andre blew my mind. Well, thanks, Sher. Now, are we just saying that because we're clouded because Sherv is number one on you know on the on the on the fan list or? What what was sure if you, you this is I here's my opportunity to turn the interview around 
uh, <laughs> tell me what tell me what you not what you just liked about it, but what you know connected with you, or what things did you pull out of that? Because I always like hearing that from the people that uh, you know get to view it and listen to their feedback of you know the, the things that connected with them because it, it's a, it's different for a lot of people. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously you've got when you've interviewed a the different audiences, the cinema audiences, when you've went to obviously different locations in the States is fantastic to see obviously the cast and the crew now and obviously them speaking about the film. But the one thing that I really loved is the way that you've uh, directed the, uh, the whole film as in the music. The music is very visceral. So when you go, there's different parts when you're in the cinemas, uh, visiting the cinemas and you're talking to the fans and you could see how a heartfelt everyone is when they're talking about it, how how you guys see it as well as obviously being the main actors in the movies and, and the film itself. And it was just the the whole uh, feeling, obviously, when you just that visceral feeling is just I had goosebumps up at the back of my neck. It was just it's it's, it's hard to describe on because obviously I've been such a fan since I was 10 years old, but it just blew my mind, just totally blew my mind. So not only, yeah, I think with you, you know, the overall, you know, kind of, you know, overall bubble of it worked, but I, it sounds like you were relating to the other fans and people that, you know, that were just talking about it and you felt connected to them in some way yeah. because yeah. they could have been speaking for you. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Good. Good. Definitely. Good. Yep. Well, that's awesome to hear because that was one of the, one of the things that we, you know, Henry and I strived for. Because, uh, you know, you both saw it and, you know, hopefully, you know, the people that do get to watch it uh, don't just consider it, you know, a making of documentary or a yeah. where are they now documentary or just a straight fan service, you know, spoonful of nostalgia documentary, which those are all great. And, you know, we can enjoy yeah. those in tidbits, but we wanted a little something broader and a little something deeper here. And, it, you know, it was really trying to find, you know, a conversation about how film, uh, any film or piece of art or song or TV show or book, you know, can actually connect with a person or a group of persons and how that can, you know, kind of, you know, impact their lives. And yeah. this this anal uh, analysis of that just happened to be through the lens of Monster Squad fans. Uh, you know, so it sort of served, you know, three or four different parallel purposes, but uh, <laughs> we were hoping to go a little deeper. So it sounds like uh, it worked with you guys as well. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. Uh, yep. Objective achieved, I think, Andre made. What I found interesting, <laughs> what I found interesting was that, uh, and, I, and I don't want to spoil, you know, the, the, the film for people who are going to watch it. But the very first question that gets asked is, uh, so the first face we see, I think, is Fred, Fred Decker. And he gets asked, um, is the Monster Squad a cult movie? And and Fred's answer is, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a cult movie or, or, or not. What what do you think, Andre? What 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 sort what sort of criteria does a movie need to tick to be classed as a cult, a cult movie? You know, I think and and we kind of cover this in the film that that definition maybe has changed, you know, over over the years of what we assumed cult means, uh, you know, because cult is different than a cult classic that's been taken, you know, sort of into another category as well. But what we also found was that a ton of fans that whether it was the 38 of them that saw it in the movie theater when it came out 
or the um i mean it might have been 40 i, I think <laughs> total <laughs> but uh you know whether they saw it in the movie theater or they saw it on hbo uh, and recorded it and passed their tape around the neighborhood, or they went to their local video store every weekend and rented the same movie over and over again. Um, a lot of those kids at the time, you know, they they didn't know the movie was, you know, didn't perform well at the box office. They just saw something that they liked and thought it was a huge thing for them. Yeah. And so a lot of people watch this documentary and go, what are you talking about? This movie was a, a failure <laughs> in the box office. I never knew that. Like, what are you talking about? This is insane. And then they really get into, you know, that kind of, you know, flabbergasted mindset. It was like, I had no idea because this was just big to me. So if you categorize those as it was just an awesome movie for them, then it wasn't something weird or off the fringe at the time. It was very mainstream and very big for them. Years later, when you look back on something you're like, yeah, this is absolutely a cult movie, you know, as defined by what we call it today, something that was obscure and weird and non mainstream and but then found an audience. And then I guess that's technically true as well, if you look at it from that lens, but it wasn't fringe and non mainstream and obscure. It was a giant studio movie in 87 that had yeah. a lot of marketing and a big cast and awesome creature effects and, you know, a worldwide release. So that's not really obscure. It just didn't perform for a number of reasons that we, you know, I, I think we look into the main reasons why it didn't work in the box office. Yeah, but that's the only place it didn't work. It really found its place in you know in the in the neighborhoods, in the schoolyards, and the cul-de-sacs, and you know the housing subdivisions, you know where these kids were sharing it with each other. And that's what's interesting about the dynamic of the fandom of Monster Squad is it these you know these people come together or around something. It just happens to be this film, but they see it almost as their responsibility or their duty to share their favorite thing with everybody. So. I don't think it was a cult movie because I think it was supposed to be this big, you know, mainstream thing. But 30 something years later, uh, <laughs> I think it's definitely a cult classic. But I think it also has a different type of category, which there's not a lot of other titles in there because. Ever since the doc has been released and people have watched the screen or watch it on VOD or on their Blu-rays a new conversation has started. It's not just about how this movie impacted me or how we've loved it for 30 something years, or, you know, I shared it with my neighborhood and my cousins and my, you know, my big brother showed it to me, or is it the movie I went to the drive-in with my dad? It's a new conversation about Monster Squad when we're talking about Wolfman's Got Nards is that this movie still holds up even today yeah, because absolutely. of the subject matter, the heart and the authenticity or the archetypes in it, and everybody can still relate. Now, that's why we have a whole second generation of Monster Squad fans that are anywhere from 20 years old and down. You know, yeah. like, well, five years old is the new nine years old, you know, <laughs> and you know, there are five-year-olds out there that are loving this movie for some reason, and then they, as they grow up, uh, you know, no matter what I saw, part of this new conversation is also kid original kid fans that now have families and kids of their own are seeing the movie in a completely yeah. different light and they're relating to the, you know the parents and having kids or the danger and then what what would you do if your kids were in this situation and they're not just going on the kids adventure they're looking at it from a whole other point of view and what everybody keeps saying in this new conversation which is fascinating to me is that 
and I'm not saying, you know, this is what, you know, people have, we've had discussions about is Monster Squad will still hold up in another 20 years, mm-hmm. more so than giant movies of today that have no connection, that certainly enjoyable and awesome spectacles and cool yeah, things yeah. to watch, but they won't, they won't connect on the same, you know, visceral or sociological or family level uh, as something like the Monster Squad does. And therefore, this movie will... St- <laughs> That movie will still last longer than some of these other giant movies that you see today. And yeah. I'm not saying that. That's been, you know, a dozen or so people in the last, you know, three or four weeks that have said that. And it's an interesting conversation because maybe it will be. And then then what do you call a movie that does that? No matter whether it's Monster Squad or something else, is that a cult movie? Is that a cult class? Is that just a movie that has, you know, lasting power that can connect on the archetypal level of any human dynamic i don't know you know it's it's an interesting conversation uh Absolutely. if we're talking about it in another 20 years it would be fascinating uh, <laughs> you know and look I, you know i get a kick out of talking about monster squad wolfman's gone or anything else that i've done or anything else that other people are doing but boy that would be a fascinating conversation if people are still talking about it 20 25 years from now totally yeah. and you know you, you mentioned... no it's definitely not uh, you, you've mentioned before, you know, kids, kids watching it. Five's the new nine. I always, I always sort of consider uh, the Monster Squad. I always put it in a, a, a section of movies, um, which I, which I probably shouldn't have been watching when I, when I did watch it. And the eighties was marvelous for that, for putting out sort of. Uh, movies that were aimed at kids, but kids shouldn't really, if we're honest, be watching them, like Monster Squad and Gremlins and, and things like that. Um, I got I got sent a Gremlins book the other day. It's a kids book. It's a it's a, a Twelve Days of Gizmo Christmas <laughs> book. So I read it to my son the other night. He's three, and I nearly stopped halfway through because it was just so violent. You know, <laughs> it was right. just so violent. But you know, I, I I love I love how um, you know these movies are targeted at kids when and the kids have just went oh I uh, the parents have went yeah 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 you can watch that and just sort of leave the room and you know we wear out the VHS watching these movies over and over again and then our parents wonder why why we're having nightmares <laughs> exactly and I you know I think that's a, a generational thing that never changes but. I think right at that time of 80s movies and 80s television and 80s kind of, you know, world events and, uh, you know, international and domestic politics and, and, and things that were going on, especially in entertainment and music, it was such a paradigm shifting time. And we really kind of leapfrogged into, you know, kind of this next, you know, paradigm of evolution as a planet, let alone, yeah. you know, just a country yeah. or two. but. And it may have been the, you know, the kind of the clarion call of, hey, we should be protecting people with, you know, uh, you know, impressionable minds better than we are now. But I don't know if that necessarily works. I'm not an expert here, but I also think that too much bubbling and too much protection is doing a disservice because they don't experience anything. And when they get out in the world and they see it, they have no idea how to react to it because they don't know what it is. And I think in the, uh, you know, starting in the seventies and in the eighties, and then definitely in the nineties, because, you know, technology and graphic and everything and video games, you know, really kind of changed the the shift there. But I think, you know, the exposure to all that stuff that was not really 
you know, helicopter mommed and helicopter dad, you know, back in the day. And, you know, you know, don't, oh my gosh, how dare, you know, my kid watch this? How dare you make this thing, you know, for my impressionable young kid? Uh, yeah, some things probably shouldn't be watched. No doubt. That's why there's ratings. That's why there's parental consent. That's why there's parental controls. But everybody still gets to see it. And you yes. get to decide for yourself how that kind of affects you or, sh or shapes you. There, and I'm not, I'm not advocating, you know, eight-year-olds go see horribly graphic, you know, real-life stuff or accidents or portrayals of gross stuff until they understand what that is. Uh, I'm saying it's on a scalable kind of yeah. uh, platform there. I, I think now we're our kids, uh, you know, may be extremely separated from, you know, exposure to just about anything. And, you know, we'll we'll see in 15, 20 years, you know, how that, you know, how that works. Hopefully it works out great. And everybody's, you know, uh, you know, either of the same mind, a little more compassionate or a little bit, uh, you know, uh, you know, thoughtful of other people and mindful of their own space in their own world. I'm not sure about that last part, though. I the trend right now is really poor of individuals being mindful of their own space in in, yeah. in the world. Not only how they affect other people around them, but what they're doing in their own little you know eight foot bubble. Uh, it's it's frightening sometimes when you look at it, and I think that comes from being kind of closed in. Uh, we're all on social media all the time. Uh, I'm not a hater of video games. I think video games are super fun. I'm just not a gamer anymore. Uh, never really was. I wasn't cool. And uh, <laughs> you were cool the, in my house, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the um, my last gaming platform was the first Nintendo. That was the last one I owned. Wow. So I'm totally not, you know, uh, uh, an expert yeah. in the gaming. But I, I think that isolation and one-offs revert back now back to films and tvs and stuff of, of of our generation we were exposed to look what we were exposed to it was the I, I don't know the height but maybe the height before the end of the cold war so we had i mean every turn around the corner the world was going to end at any moment yeah. uh you know we had these awesome battles against good versus evil or east versus west um you know which shaped kind of our mindset of how the world works uh, which is a little one-sided, so you should always at least understand more than one side if you want to make yeah. an opinion about it, yeah. um, you know, which is eye-opening, you know, when, when you actually do that. Uh, you know, we also still had, when we were kids, we had Vietnam stories, yeah. which were just terrible. But that shaped who we were to understand that there was bad shit that went on and then, like, for bad reasons and no outcomes because, you know, our growing up in the 80s being Cold War kids – Vietnam stories were the lesson of like this is not good and everything else was rah rah us and bad them mm -hmm. and we're like well this is a contrary tale you know this is let's learn about this or you know this isn't as bright and you know happy ending as as everything else that we see but then even in the music and you know it, it was such an explosion of of creation and art and education yeah. and knowledge that you could get that I think it, sh it shaped a generation differently than any other generation could shape a generation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's yeah, a very long-winded kind of answer, but I, I went on a roll there. <laughs> the digital generation. Exactly. So, so Audrey, obviously the Monster Squad's been with you for the majority of your life. Uh, you, you decide to do uh, Wolfman's Got Nods. Uh, actually, before I go on to the question I was going to ask, I'll just quickly ask you, when did you know what the title 
of the documentary was going to be? Or did you have the title first? Um, <laughs> if that's if that's the, the the quick first answer, the quick uh, question, the first quick answer is. As soon as I realized that there was a project or a, a documentary uh, to be made, it was really kind of the first thing that jumps in your mind as a title. And then as we actually got into developing and producing the documentary, it was still the you know the the number one choice. Uh, you know, Henry and I, and even you know friends and 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 Ryan Lambert and you know Ashley, you know we'd be together. I I you know bat around other alternate titles. Uh, and it, there just really wasn't an alternate. That's if you're going to make something about the dynamic of this movie impacting people, uh, that's the only title that there is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there's yep. absolutely nothing else that you could call it. Um, so yeah, so what I was going to say was, you, you wrote this, you produced this, you directed this. You know, and I proceeded proceeded the question with, you know, this has been Monster Squad's been with you majority of your life. You, you must really, really love the movie, and you know the, the the things that have come with it to to devote yourself to directing, writing, and producing this documentary. Well, I think I I, I don't disagree. Uh, also, I'm going to start off with yes, I. I co-wrote, I directed, you know, I, I, I produced this. I, I didn't make this on my own. No. Uh, I had an no, amazing no, no. opportunity to team up with uh, Pilgrim Studios, uh, Pilgrim yeah. Media Group, and then a group of guys uh, and gals inside of that studio were kind of, you know, my my team, my squad for making this documentary, led by Henry McComas and Wes Caldwell, Shane Patterson, Aaron Kunkel, um, you know, even Cameras by Esteban and Anthony Leisner and Eric Lukowski and Jen Auth. All these people helped make this, you know, movie happen on the ground level, and it wouldn't look or sound or feel anything like that without those people, and mostly Henry McComas. Um, and I was certainly lucky because the idea of of what I had, of what I thought was out there, uh, was all brought to life, you know, by that team of people, and it was a fabulous experience. And I'm, I'm extremely fortunate enough that I ran into them to make this happen. Um, but you know, the, it, it has been a part of my life, but it, it kind of changed, it kind of evolves and, and, and yeah. it, it, it changes even in itself of how it's, in, you know, impacts anybody, uh, especially myself. And, yeah. you know, none of this would have happened if we didn't have that original cast reunion thing in, uh, 2006, which started this whole kind of, you know, resurgence of the monster squad. That was a dead title that only a few, I mean, it's not a few, it's a ton of fans around the world really liked, but they couldn't talk about it. They would barely discuss it. You know, yeah. the internet was, you know, just starting to, you know, in, in the mid and late nineties, they could start, you know, chatting with each other about it, but it wasn't this, this big thing. And yeah. then 2006 happened and it just blew up. And we thought that we, me and other castmates that were exposed to this kind of initial kind of, oh, let's revisit this fun thing that apparently a lot of people like we thought it was all going to kind of die off after a couple you know months or maybe a year or two and that did not happen yeah. <laughs> it just got stronger <laughs> and stronger and stronger and that's an interesting phenomenon and i haven't seen a lot of examples of that and then as you're exposed to meeting the individuals like sherv 
like Adam, you know, who this movie's been with you f- since the first time you saw it, to hear these stories and the connection of those individuals, th- that's what I started noticing as personally, I started noticing that that was different and that was something interesting. And I thought those stories were a story. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I'm and I'm so glad you did it. So glad you did it. But you you finished Wolfman's Got Nods back in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. What what was the delay? Why did you keep us hanging on? <laughs> it was <laughs> it rascal. Was not me. So <laughs> we the kind of production, the development, the production, and the you know locking this film in and then festivaling was was actually in a very short time frame. Henry and the gang, we started rolling cameras in April of 2017. Right. We premiered at our first festival in April of 2018. Right. So in that 10 and a half months, because it was about a month and a half, you know, we, we shot 50 terabytes of footage while we're on the road going on tour. I was also doing another TV show at the time for Nerdist. Uh, that was co-hosted, I, I created, called Short Ends, which All showcased right, yeah. short films yeah, yeah. and the short filmmakers. And um, So we were do- I was doing that with my buddy Ryan Lambert, was my co-host on that. Uh, in the meantime, that we were making this doc and going on the road and going to 17 cities in 17 days, going to London twice, uh, you know, doing interviews in L.A., doing interviews all over the country and all over, you know, the U.K., uh, that's a very compressed amount of time. Yeah. But then we launched in our, at our first festival, and our festival run was amazing. Uh, and it was about six and a half months long, nonstop. When the doc went all over the world, we went some amazing places. And I don't know. For some of the reasons, you know, you think you get all of this kind of media acclaim and fan response during a festival run. That's what usually creates an acquisition and a distribution deal like that. Yeah. We had yeah. a lot of interested parties early. Uh, we decided to, you know, get through about two thirds of our festival season, which was about three or four months and make sure that, uh, we knew what was happening, kind of what the response was. Cause you don't want to just take the first offer that comes off the table. Cause it's usually not good. Uh, I mean, we had a lot of conversations and a lot of, and a lot of offers. Yeah. Um, they just weren't as great. And so when you started those process, you're like, well, let's see. You know, let's get through our second half of our festival run and see if we can parlay that into actually something really nice. And for one reason or another, I don't know. Um, there, there's a couple things that we could point at, but I, I resist doing that. Yeah. Um, it, it just kind of went dormant for a little bit. And then lo and behold, a year ago, I mean, it's actually, it should have been out even not sooner than it should have been, but even sooner than the, than the later it was. Yeah. Well, we had a deal. Uh, we had we had a, a a great you know company come in, make a great offer, want to do worldwide distribution for it. We went into the process of getting that ready for them, and because of again a couple reasons that you could point to, uh, that deal ended up not happening uh, after six months of waiting for it to finalize. And so, and this was right when COVID started hitting in February. And then now what do you do? (laughs) No one knows what's going on. We're like, wow, we just lost this number two. This movie should have been out four months ago. It's not out now. Now who knows when it's going to come out. Um, But then, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, revisiting a conversation with Gravitas Ventures 
that, you know, ended up having a very quick turnaround, wanted to get it done, wanted to do the U.S.-Canada release, and where that kind of windowing took place. Because um, once you do a deal, it's not like the next Monday, like, the movie's out. It's a big process, yeah. and yeah. it gets delayed. And with anything on VOD, with all of the platforms, it's a minimum of 90 days. And so we were coming up against a deadline to get this deal, uh, or this current release deal for U.S. and Canada finalized. And executed so they could go into that 90-day window and it worked out to be october 27th so it worked out a pretty good you know kind of release window yeah, uh, yeah for something absolutely. monster squad themed right and you know we've just been enjoying you know enjoying that so there were some unknown reasons why it got delayed there were some known reasons why the initial kind of release got not done uh, and then, you know, kind of in this lat, you know, with what we see today with Gravitas for the U.S. Canada release, uh, we know exactly what that was. And that happened pretty quick. So we got it out and hopefully people are enjoying it. And, um, you know, it continues to do that because right now we're working on the international release. So we've got to get that out, you know, an official deal out in the U.K. and in 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 the rest of Europe and in Australia and South America and in Asia and stuff like that. So. Because there's a big, there's fan bases out there. There's there's groups of people that oh, are waiting yeah, for absolutely. it. Yeah, yeah, there is. That, so uh, we're working on it. Trust me. All of my UK fans, when they found out this initial one was only US Canada, they all went bonkers. Yeah. And I was like, trust <laughs> me, you're 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 next on the list. I promise. It's so important uh, because there's so many awesome UK fans, and uh, I, I'm we're working on that right now. Actually, we just we were just exchanging some emails today on that topic. So hopefully, it happens soon. Yeah, loads, loads of people have messaged me on uh, Facebook saying, ask them this, ask them when it's coming out, ask them when the Blue Raid's coming out. Um, and I'll, I'll come to those questions in a minute. Was, that, was there ever any point, uh, ever a point where you thought, shit, we're not going to get this out? <laughs> um, sure, there's always <laughs> a point where you think you're going to have this, you know, giant kind of acquisition or, you know, that's what you hope for, like really quick and get it out. And honestly, this movie probably should have been out two years ago, um, you know, right after our festival run. Um, one of the interesting things that it's not a main reason, but I think something that counts in uh, and we didn't find this out until way after our festival run. But during our festival run, a lot of the labels and distributors and studios and brands that acquire festival films and put them out um, – Saw the movie, enjoyed it, liked it, but they all assumed it was already a studio picture that had a deal, so they never even right. approached us. Right. Oh. Because they saw it and they said, this is not typical kind of, you know, indie fair, and it looks so slick and, and, yeah. and polished and, yeah. and enjoyable that, we, you know, we didn't even know this was available. And by the time we were like, no, we'd love to have a conversation with you, <laughs> you know, kind of the end of the year was already done, their festival acquisitions were already, you know, piled up, and you're like, Wow, there's an interesting thing to hear, you know, two, three months after the fact that, you know, everybody loved your doc, that festival awesome, but they didn't, they assumed it was already taken. So they didn't call you. <laughs> we ran into that a handful of times, which is very interesting. Seriously. Um, and, you know, and then another thing on that, you know, a lot of big brands and studios, they see it as very, very niche. And, and it probably is. Uh, but, you know, we tried to make it a little less niche while it's not just about Monster Squad or not just about Monster Squad fans. But, you know, people that haven't seen the Monster Squad can enjoy this documentary as well because it will connect them with something that they are impacted by. It yeah. doesn't matter what it is. 
but a lot of people, you know, some people don't see that. And they're like, well, you know, and sales, especially international sales, is, is very categorical. And, it, you know, it's very kind of targeted. And some people are like, ah, we don't know what to do with this. Or it's so niche that, uh, you know, that's not our our, our, our bailiwick. But, yeah. um, you know, there's a number of reasons why things don't happen. And if everybody thinks that everything happens overnight in the entertainment industry, <laughs> you couldn't be farther from the truth. Things take so much longer than you think they should. Yeah. Um, and they even, but, and they do, you know, and they, and they even take longer than they actually could. Uh, that's just how the, that's just how the, the game goes. Yeah. You've got, you've got to be mega patient. Yeah. Extreme <laughs> because you think, so, you know, and even if someone tells you something's going to happen, you don't bank on it until you see it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's why I would be a rubbish filmmaker because I've got no patience whatsoever. I'd be like, right, come yeah, on, let's I'm, get this uh, done. Yeah, I, uh, I'm actually dealing, uh, I'm working with a guy right now on a potential project who uh, it doesn't, you know, is not fluent in, you know, that side of it. And, you know, we have a conversation on a Wednesday and something isn't done like on Friday, he's like pulling his hair out. And I'm like, my man, you've got a lot. We just, just relax. Just relax. You've got a lot of... Uh, you are in fine shape. Nothing changes. And, uh, you know, this is not how it goes. So be patient. <laughs> is, my, is, is, is my video, am I still moving for use? Uh, hey. some, it, it freezes up a little bit. Uh, it's uh, frozen now. but just uh, it, 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 It's frozen completely for me. It doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. It's frozen now completely for me on you as well, Adam. Uh, right, sometimes okay. it's background stuff and the what, what they use in the back. But... I've had that experience too, but uh, that's a cool photo. So it's good. Uh, <laughs> it's not all about me. Um, <laughs> so, Sherv, I think I think you've got some uh, questions lined up, haven't you? You've got some some uh, questions you're dying to ask. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andre, how did you find the transition going from obviously being in front of the camera as an actor to going behind the camera as a director? Was it more challenging? It's, uh, you know, both things are challenging. Uh, you know, don't don't let anybody tell you different. Um, but they're just challenging in different ways. I've always had, you know, it wasn't sort of like a clean break, like new thing jumping in, never been here before. You know, I've, I've produced stuff, I've developed stuff, you know, I've made stuff uh, on different levels and different scales. And I've also done, um, you know, I, I've worked and lived in different industries other than entertainment. And, you know, when you're in the event and, and and hospitality and travel you know kind of realm you understand how things are put together and how logistics work and you know how, how teams of people have to get this done by a certain date and that's just what a producer does and you know being around that on the front of the camera what's interesting is people think being in front of the camera has a very myopic view but if you actually understand what being in front of the camera is when you're in front of the camera you may be the only one in frame but when you're looking at the camera, you're seeing everything behind the camera happen. Yep. And when you're when you're off camera, you're watching all the machinations and, and seeing how A and B work together with C and, you know, all these people on a movie shoot or a TV show or whatever you're doing. And so I just think that experience of growing up in the industry in front of the camera and absorbing all of that, uh, you know, and then growing up and, you know, going through your teenage years and going through college and 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 and, and into adulthood. Uh, all of that just helps with everything that you can do because, uh, you know, people make light of, you know, sometimes of, of younger actors or kid actors 
you, you actually got to give him a little bit more credit than a lot of people do uh, as a whole because you're asking someone that may be 5, 9, 13 years old to show up and be a professional on a daily basis. Yeah. Whereas a lot of adults that are 25 or 30 can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and exactly. so, you know, I, I think kid act, you know, uh, younger actors and, and, and kids in the business uh, really, if it ends up having a, a good kind of trajectory, uh, have a big head start on people in, in, in the world because uh, they get exposed to very high end, very professional things that's work uh, at a young age. So I think that just kind of translates into, things that I'm one interested in to seem to be good at, uh, you know, and that's developing ideas, you know, putting ideas together to create a thing, uh, working with other people, because what I've also learned over the, you know, the, you know, over the years is that it's very hard to do something on your own. And if you do, if you think you're capable and you don't want anybody to have a hand on it or, you know, be involved, it's not going to be as good as it could. It could be okay. But yeah. it's not going to be as good as if you had other people working with you that know what they're doing. Um, sometimes you got to give a little control up. Sometimes you you can't be as as uh, control freakish, uh, and you have to be open to other ideas or thoughts and letting go and uh, delegating is very important. Um, and so you, you learn how to do all that stuff over time. And what happened with Wolfman's Got Nards, if we're talking about a singular kind of experience, is everything came together at the right time with the right timing with the right people of going into you know a 12 month period of everything falling into place and when you step back and look in when you're doing it in the middle of this, all this stuff like i said we we did so much stuff in 12 months that you don't even remember half of it but when you're inside of that and you're looking at next week or next month and you have all these things lined up that you have to do and you have to hit those milestones and, and guideposts and make sure you're doing this. Otherwise, you're hosed. Uh, one, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's a little stressful just because it's a lot of energy. But also, it's very rewarding after the fact when you look back and go, holy shit, we did a lot. Yeah. How did we do that? It just <laughs> all worked. And it's the other people. And if you tried to do all that on your own, you would have fallen down on your face miserably. Yeah. And uh, so you got to give credit where credit is due. Um, but I loved the transition. You know, when you're when you're working with other people and you have a say in what something's going on, uh, whether financially or you know uh, executively or creatively, uh, you know th those are those are fun spots to be in. And I thoroughly enjoyed the whole process. And you know now we're finally enjoying the the process of getting it out to the world and seeing the feedback. So you know that's the second half of making something like this. Fantastic, superb. And do you get also, nervous? As, as, sorry, Sherv, as, 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 you know, are you, are you nervous when you're right, right, we're finished, we're going to put it out there. Do you go and hide somewhere? Or, you know, that's, I, uh, that's really, I, I think uh, anybody that makes anything, um, you know, that's artistic or creative or storytelling, even a documentary, even if you're doing a hard news documentary, right? Uh, when, when, you, when you bundle it up and you, you, you hit save, and it's out of your hands and it's out to the, you can't do anything about it anyway. It's just yeah, out it there. So yeah. uh, one thing that, you know, we've always talked about even before we let this thing go is, you know, if we put our effort into it and hit the, hit the kind of goals that we wanted to hit, if we think that then we should be okay, but you've got to let it go. It's like a painting or a song. 
um, you know, if you put a song on the radio and it goes out there and people don't like it, what do you do? You remake the song? Like <laughs> there, there's so there's only very little you can do, and so you've really just got to let go, detach, and hope everybody enjoys it, and then you know connect with the next level of it. Uh, and I think we did that pretty good, but I think we. You know, we knew one of the things that alleviated that anxiety. You, you're always, you know, you're always kind of anxious, you know, when when someone's seeing it for the first time. But we had enough kind of test screenings and you know, private little screener links with people that we knew that were like, uh, "This is this is this is pretty good." Uh, that we were okay when it was a you know a bigger audience at a festival, but. You don't run and hide. I, I don't sit in the first couple of times. I, I like to, if it's an audience, like we haven't been in a theater in, you know, a year, but um, I, Henry and I would stand in the back of the, the festival theater, wherever it was, and we wouldn't really watch the movie because we know the movie. Uh, we would watch the reaction of the people yeah. watching the movie. Yeah. And that's that's where filmmakers and creatives, um, you know, get, get their kind of... Um, you know, kind of get get juiced from, yeah. and it it was we we knew in the very first screening that it played well with a group of people, and that's kind of how we made it. Unfortunately, right now everybody's watching it on their own at home, or maybe with their family or one of their kids, or you know, I think the biggest group you know anybody's watching right now is four or five people. Yeah. Uh, but we really kind of made it to be shared in that you know common experience yeah. group, you know, kind of. You know, in a darkened theater with like-minded people, and you sit down, lights go, and you watch something that you all shared and experienced, yeah. and then you leave, and you're all connected ever since. Um, we don't have that right now, but we did in our festival run. So we yeah. had a lot of uh, a lot of great reactions, lot, and you could feel that energy in the room when people were watching this. And you know, it's 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 sort of a roller coaster ride of a film. There's there's p the setups and payoffs, and there's happy moments and there's, you know, sad moments, there's mm -hmm. deep emotional moments. Um, and then there's moments that you don't know that are there until someone tells you they're there. And that's what's fascinating about watching the reaction and, and hearing the feedback as the creatives, uh, when people come out and tell you what they think about it. Super cool. Sorry, Sheriff, on you go, pal. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Going back to the Monster Squad, uh, were you able to take home any of the props from the <laughs> house <laughs> and do you know what happened to phoebe's scraps uh yes and yes <laughs> <laughs> what were you able to oh, take would home you like a laugh? okay, so we want to, okay. <laughs> um let's start with the first part um actually let's start with the second part i do know what happened with scraps ashley got to keep scraps and apparently the story, this is Ashley's story. She she tells it more heartbreaking than I can. Uh, I guess when she was a teenager, like it stayed, you know, she kept it for years. And she was a teenager, I believe. And maybe they were moving. I think they were moving or, you know, doing spring cleaning or something. And uh, her mom was just, you know, boxing up stuff and getting rid of some things and said, what do you need this stuff? You know, we don't need this stuff anymore. You're not a kid anymore, I guess. And um, scraps got uh, donated or or <laughs> or tossed into limbo. Um, so what we like to say is the original scraps is actually still out there floating around in limbo with uh, <laughs> with, with Frankenstein's monster. So um, yeah, so scraps is out there somewhere. Um, I, I know a couple of the awesome fans, uh, you know, that are at the, the top of the lift with you, Sheriff. 
uh, have researched and looked and, and found what that toy was and actually what that plush doll right. was. So yep. yeah, yep. there are there are some cool uh, alternate scraps out there. Yeah, uh, I, I call them the other dimensional scraps. So maybe they are uh, yeah, they can at least channel scraps as original energy. Uh, <laughs> as for me, yeah, I actually um, you know I have a lot of production stuff and some some knickknacks and stuff from production, not necessarily the movie. Um, but I did get to I have my entire wardrobe. And, you know, all the way up from the, the shoes to the jeans to the the, the yellow King flannel shirt. shirt, the Adidas jacket, and, of course, the actual Stephen King rule shirt, which, uh, awesome. you know, there's a little there's a little bit of, uh, you know, play at the end of the dock that we show that because that's been sitting in a box for 30 years. Yep. And yep. Uh, now it comes out to to have people enjoy it a little bit. And uh, it's one of my favorite bits in the entire film. And that was put together by Wes Caldwell, which is an amazing bit. And uh, everybody gets a kick out of seeing that thing come out of the box. Yeah. And the other cool thing is I kept Rudy's bow because I was into archery at the time when I was a teenager. Wow. And so I was like, hey, if anybody's not going to have that, I'll take that. Because one, it's a cool keepsake. And two, like I have like six other of my own bows. I just want to put this on the rack, you know, with uh, with that because I think it's a cool keepsake. And lo and behold, that I, I was very prescient with the fact that Rudy's bow is a rather iconic prop from the movie. Um, yeah. And this is well before we didn't know the movie was going to work. You know, it's like it, this is, you know, I, I we all got that stuff before the movie bombed. Uh, and then when the movie bombed, it didn't matter what props you had uh, until 20 <laughs> years later. Um, but, uh, you know, ironically, I had uh, I had Rudy's bow. Uh, I brought it to an event to give to Ryan Lambert and the place went crazy. Uh, he ended up leaving it at my friend's house for like a year and a half in San Francisco. And uh, then my friend moved to Montana. <laughs> and so the bow went with him to Montana. So the bow has been all over the place. And uh, I, I thought it was a great idea to do like a just like a as part of our podcast or a road show that Ryan and I, you know, get in an RV and we drive to Montana to go get his bow. And uh, I should have made that happen, but we didn't. And but I had my friend ship it to me and it, it toured with us for a little bit uh, in the festival season. And it is now uh, Ryan and I decided, uh, as we have with a couple of our things, that uh, why do they sit in a box and not be enjoyed by anybody of the world? Uh, so I'm, I'm really into this, you know, this, this phase of, of sharing and, and giving things to people or letting them borrow them and have them on display. And Rudy's bow is now sitting in this amazing collectibles archive of a good friend of ours named Ciro Nielli, who's actually in the documentary, who's uh, a very well-known and talented artist and an animator. Um, and so th that bow is sitting, uh, we, we said, because we go to his house a lot, uh, you know, he, uh, he lives with uh, Grace Chan, who made the I Heart Rudy zine, little mini magazine that's put out there now. <laughs> so she makes that, he did the art for it. Uh, but he has this awesome house and we go over there and have pool parties and, and, and cook out and, and, wow. and watch movies on 16 millimeters sometimes. And he's got wow. his workspace in the garage. He's got this amazing collectibles, you know, room in his new house. And we said, you know, something like this needs to be in a place where other people can enjoy it. So Rudy's bow is hanging on his wall uh, yeah. with a little placard, uh, you know, that he put up. So Rudy's bow is in, in, in good, in good place right now. Fantastic. Superb. Right, one more, Shiv. Make right, it good, okay. and, and then I'll, I'll go into the I'll, right, then I'll okay, go into the Facebook quick. questions. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Andre, I know that obviously your favourite part of any of the film in the Monster Squad was the end sequence. Was there any other standout moments that really 
sort of that you loved while making the film? Yeah, obviously the 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 pat answer is always that end sequence because that's just amazing, right? Um, you know, we all got to do our own stunts. Um, I got to do a a, a a dive roll. I got to hit a wolfman with a bat. Uh, we <laughs> you know speed up in a car, and uh, there's actually you know a deleted scene where I'm actually flying in the limbo, but they've got to you know hold on to me in like this human yeah. chain, and so I'm up on this rigging. So and then the, the fans are going and and debris is being flown at you, and you know monsters are exploding. That that's an amazing sequence. Um, other awesome part, I really really like the. Um, the scene with Sean and Dell in the bathroom and that, which also is the setup to the payoff where you're watching the movie on the roof. And so I think the dynamic between Sean and his dad uh, is, is very cool. Um, you know, if you had a cool relationship with your dad, uh, you know, then you connect with that. If you didn't have a cool relationship with your dad growing up, you still connect with that because that's something that you always wanted. So I think it's a neat conversation. Um, and I think it shows kind of the connection between Dell and Sean a little bit that, you know, you were like, I, you know, we can see where this could go in a couple of years. Like they're still going to be tight and, you know, it's still gonna be cool no matter that the family's kind of imploding. Cause a lot of people don't realize that the Crenshaws are like disintegrated, <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of family dynamics going on here, yeah. which I think a lot of kids at the time identified with because their parents were going through the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. unless you see the movie on widescreen, you miss a lot of things on, on visually. And one of the things is uh, before Dell screeches up or before the treehouse blows up, um, the mom's reaction, uh, she's at the door with luggage. You know, so she's leaving. Like she's she's leaving. And like yeah. what is happening? And you know, uh, you know, the world's going crazy. There's monsters, and like this family's breaking apart. Uh, I, I think that's an interesting kind of dynamic there. But uh, there's so many great little bits, and you watch this movie over and over again over the years, and you find great little things that you you miss or you don't pay attention to. And you know, I I, I think the scene with the two pilots in the old cargo plane is a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like those guys are such great New York day player, you know, character actors. And you're like, what? Who are these guys? I want to see. I want to see like, I want to see a, a, a series with those guys off. just flying stuff along. The <laughs> That'd be a great show. <laughs> those are, I think, the stuff with Sean and 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 Dell in the bathroom and then on the roof is probably really cool, um, and which is mirrored by the scene with Emily and Phoebe about being scared and the candle and monsters and lightning. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people relate to that. And I, th I think those are very poignant points in the movie. Definitely. Yeah. So listen, Andre, I put a thing on Facebook saying that, uh, that Sherv and I were going to be talking to you. And if anybody had any, uh, questions to put to you and I, and I got, I got one or two good ones. Okay. So okay. I just, so excuse me while I look on my phone to read them. Um, so, right. Okay. So. It, it's trendy, I think, these days to talk about, you know, with, with our favourite movies from our childhood, reboots, sequels. You know, we hear about, is there going to be a Goonies 2 all the time? We hear about, is there going to be a Back to the Future 4 all the time? Um, and so somebody uh, is asking, Andy Kelly is asking, will we ever get a reboot? And if so, would you be part of it, Andre? 
Andy Kelly, it's a great question. Um, not the first time we've gotten it. Uh, they were rebooting it for a while, starting back in like 2010. Um, I believe Rob Cohen, you know, who's a huge movie producer and yeah. big studio director, was also a young producer on the Monster Squad, ironically. Uh, when kind of the, the resurgence started happening, yeah. uh, he teamed up, I believe, with... Uh, Platinum Dunes, which is Michael Bay's company, and nice. was looking to reboot Monster Squad. Uh, I think some timing. It, it, it took a long time to get developed. Uh, then Universal announced the Dark Universe, and they yeah. kind of you know squashed that idea. Uh, and then the Dark Universe died. So you know, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, but they're resurrecting that in the right way, I think. Um, that's a whole other conversation. But um, I, I think they're doing it right uh, in the current phase. But reboots, I don't know if work because you can't make the same movie. If you want to make yeah. a movie in the same vein, call it something different, but have the same kind of uh, you know heart and feel and, and subject matter, that'd be great. The problem with that is we've seen that a lot in the yeah. last five, oh, yes. ten years. Uh, you know, obviously led by Stranger Things, which is really a group of kids that find supernatural stuff happening. They've got a band together. They're the only ones that can figure out the problem. Um And this is personal. It doesn't have, and I have no say in it. Uh, I, I don't think a remake or a reboot works as well as other stories in the universe. Yeah. Because uh, you can't make this movie today. You can't. You can't have kids no. doing or or participating or saying the things uh, where exactly why everybody connects with the Monster Squad from 1987, uh, be it problematic or not. Um, yeah. It's the reality, and that's what they connect with it. You can't do that today. Uh, not only just the language or the situation. I think you could change the characters and have yeah. different situations. And if you want to call it Monster Squad, you know, of a current day, great. Just do a new story. Don't try to recreate the yeah. original yeah. one and yeah. you know plug square pegs into round holes. That's always a mistake. Just yeah. create a new story, uh, yeah. and that would be totally awesome. Uh, and you can you can you can mix up the characters or or, or, or rebrand them as much as you wanted to. Uh, just make it a new story, like a continuation or completely separate. A sequel is a different story. Um, you know, everybody wants a Goonies two. Uh, I don't was that Go Goonier? Like is, I think we call it Goonies two. Go is it Goonier? I don't, you know, it, it's uh, uh, well, Adam Adam Goldberg. Adam Goldberg, who's in Wolfman's Got Nods, I know. You know, he put it on social media a couple of weeks ago that he was going to see Dick Donner with a proposal for a sequel. Yeah, for for, for another for, Goonies. For Goonies. Um, yeah. Which someone like, if anybody's going to do it the right way, Adam F. Goldberg will, because he, he is part of that world. He is that world. And he's sort of, uh, you know, he's sort of the... Pied Piper or, you know, the the kind of band leader of nostalgia and 80s stuff. And he has so much enthusiasm that it, it would be done fun and, and right. So I'd love to see that. Um, I'd love to get an audition for that. <laughs> I got to call on that, Adam, and find out if that happens, right? Um, but, you know, other story. I think in Monster Squad world, there's even other stories. Uh, would a sequel be cool? Sure, as long as it's an awesome story and the right people are involved. Um, oh, let me let me answer the second half of Andy's question. Uh, if they make something and do it, I have no say whether I'm involved or not. You know, yeah. you have to be approached and asked. So uh, it, it's not it's not a guarantee or a given. So I just no. wanted to make sure I answered his second part. Um, but I think there's some cool stories inside the Monster Squad universe. I, 
look, Dracula's been walking around for a hundred years until our time, <laughs> waiting for the you know the balance of uh, balance of evil and good to you know to be equal so he can shatter the amulet and you know and take over. Uh, you know w- what was he doing for a hundred years? That's a that's an entire TV show. <laughs> you know, like what was he doing in the fifties or the 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 twenties? You know, yeah. that'd be amazing. Um, and I would love to see Duncan Regeer walking around in you know nineteen nineteen forty to Vienna you know, or something. <laughs> That'd be an amazing story. Um, de-age him or whatnot. He still looks phenomenal. He's a beautiful human being even today. I mean, it's, hey, isn't he? this guy's amazing <laughs> and, and, a, and a fantastic actor to boot. Um, but there's also continuing stories. You can, you know, you can do animation, you could do graphic novels, you could do, you know, a, a, a web series, you could do whatever you wanted to, because I think there's a, a wide story in there. Uh, yeah. But I think rebooting or remaking is probably the least effective uh, because you're just trying to copy something that you can't copy. And yes. it's like having, you know, a Xerox machine that the toner's, you know, running low. And yet you sort of get a, you know, a, a good facsimile of what you're trying, but it's not going to be as bold and deep as you wanted it to be. Uh, right. So just come up with something, you know, come up with something different, come up with something new. The problem with Monster Squad stuff, it's always been rights issues. Who has the rights, what's available, uh, and hopefully in the next year, um, that will end up being in the hands of the people that it should be in, and maybe something happens. Who knows? Let's all let's all wait and see. Cool. Fingers crossed. You mentioned before, Andre, uh, perhaps inevitably Stranger Things. Uh, you know, movies like Monster Squad Goonies uh, are obviously huge inspiration for programs like Stranger Things, uh, which I love, by the way. Um, and on Facebook, Ellis Meredith Owen has asked, who would win if the Monster Squad came up against the Stranger Things kids. <laughs> I'm presuming she means in a battle to the death. Well, that's a pretty dark uh, question there uh, because I love all those, ki- I love all those kids. Um, and, and I'm assuming she's meaning that uh, the kids of the Monster Squad battling the kids of Stranger Things, not yeah. like in real life, like would I be punching Finn Wolf or something because I don't want yeah. to do that. Uh, I think he can out on his head pretty bad. Yes. Just holding your hand out on his head. Um, <laughs> so, look, I think I think they're totally different. I, I th- but to be honest and not just biased, uh, look, the Stranger Things crew is awesome. You know, they go on these amazing adventures, and um, uh, yeah, Millie Brown is amazing in that show. Uh, I think everybody's awesome. She's a standout as a performer, obviously. Um, but if we're looking at the characters and the subject matter, yeah, I'd have to go with the squad just because <laughs> we can shoot bows and shotguns and blow stuff up and yeah. uh, we're, we're a little more hardcore. Yeah, and I think the Stranger friends. Things kids grew up, you know, in, in the, you know, kind of bubbled generation just a bit where they weren't exposed to all of the stuff we shouldn't have been exposed to, which I think tips the balance. So it kind of, our whole conversation comes full circle maybe there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the Stranger Things kids are busy playing D&D. Monster Squad guys were out there kicking ass already. (laughs) Uh, Right, what else? There's another role playing D&D. I mean, it's a fun, imaginative game. Um, And, you know, it's there's some awesome people that play it hardcore. 
but I think the Monster Squad grew up and like they stopped playing D and D because they did it for real. <laughs> but some of the kids are trying But I think that's what gives them that information and that knowledge to go ahead and and come up with the ways to to win the day. Uh, and that's where I think imagination. Whereas kids, even in our generation, you know, if you were the D and D crowd or you know the card playing crowd or the imaginative other world fantasy game players. Yeah. Yeah. You were thought of as a little kooky or a little weird or a little yeah. nerdy. Yeah. Uh, but what kids that didn't play those games or weren't involved in 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 game like that's where your imagination grows and you have to you have some kind of creative thinking of how to solve problems and critical thought and how to gameplay and role play out you know to the end of something. And I think kids that end up doing that end up doing better later than aren't that, that aren't involved or exposed and things like that. And they just kind of glide through school and listen to teachers and 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 study for the test. Um, that I don't think that works out as well as people think it does. I think it's those imaginative kids that are a little weird at the beginning. Uh, yeah. you know, get to ha get to use their their minds and their imagination, their creativity to solve problems, which sort of goes against what you know, kind of you know, whatever you want to call establishment. Kind of, they yeah. just want you to study for the test and yeah. and and be kind of a drone worker bee. Sometimes, I guess it seems that way. Uh, but the kid, it's the kids that always come through at the end uh, that were the weirdos that uh, <laughs> have the solution, that have the solutions of the day. Look, look at our heroes of today. Our heroes of today are the kids that sat around and played with, you know, computer code. You know, yeah. like, what do you, what do you, that's not even, what are you doing? It was like, this is a whole other language. And they're like, you're weird. Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're totally weird. Like, I don't want to play with you. They're like, that's okay. I don't want to play with you either. I want to sit here and learn ASCII or DOS or, <laughs> you know, yeah. C++. And then now these are the people creating every single thing that you use today. Yeah. So those weirdos that sat around and tried to learn a different language 20 years ago are now your heroes of today so yeah. I, I i i you got to celebrate that um you know i don't know answering her question <laughs> you know i i think the monster squad would probably you know at the very end it might be close but just because we were a little more abrasive that that might swing the battle <laughs> yeah i think so i think so you would you would have to concentrate on 11 suppress her and then, then you'd you have know, a that's, chance. That's the problem. You, you've got someone <laughs> on their team. Yeah, I don't know how we would do that. I mean, I guess <laughs> I don't know. Like, she's tough. That's a tough character, and she's got abilities. So maybe it's not. Maybe it's not so cut and dry. <laughs> maybe not. Um, Matthew uh, Whaley or Wally and is asking, and I don't know if this is a question you can answer, Andre, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, why can't I buy the Monster Squad on Blu-ray anywhere? <laughs> uh, th that's actually an easy question to answer. Uh, uh, is that it's out of print again, just like everything was before. They, you know, it's amazing that Monster Squad has gone through this evolution. It was, you know, shot and shown on 35 millimeter. It went to HBO. Kids taped it on their VHS and beta machines. It was in your local video store on videotape. Uh, it was on two different laser discs a u.s and a japanese import during the yeah. 90s uh and then it was dead for a number of years and then we saw that 35 millimeter wow. print in a theater and that's what led to lionsgate putting out a, a, a dvd we never had a dvd of this movie before in widescreen so it's restored looks good had a double disc in there with some deleted scenes and some terrible interviews from me and uh <laughs> you know the uh everybody else is great uh the 
And then a, and then a Blu-ray comes out, which is insane. You're like, oh, they had a DVD. This is amazing. We finally get a DVD. And then there's a Blu-ray that sells out. Uh, then another Blu-ray comes out and sell. You know, they only make so much. Yeah. And you know, and then now you come into 2013, 14. Now it's on streaming services. So it's on Netflix. It's on Amazon. It's on Hulu. It's on Showtime. It's insane. It, that Monster Squad has run the gamut of every possible medium that you could watch it on, but you it's hard to buy again. So now it's like you've got to trade, you know, if you've got to trade three or four of your other DVDs for one copy of the Monster Squad or pay someone a hundred bucks on eBay to get a Blu-ray, <laughs> uh, even if it's not signed. So we're right back into, you know, prior to the resurgence again, yeah. uh, you know, but hopefully, you know, buying your Blu-ray or DVD of Wolfman's Got Nards or watching that on VOD, uh, you know, we'll satiate that need for a little bit right now, but it just kind of compounds it because everybody watches the doc and they just wants to own Monster Squad again if they don't already own it. Exactly. Uh, so the the question or the answer to the question is it's out of print again. Like no one's actively making you know Blu-rays of the Monster Squad right now. May, uh, will that change be, next week? Who knows? There might just be um, uh, building uh, demand for the for the 4K release. It will, yeah, you know, and, and I, you know, I don't want to get. This is a whole rabbit hole, and you know, if I was doing this on Twitter, I'd get, I would get eviscerated. Um, is a 4K version what we want? Need? I thought, I thought the Blu-ray looks amazing. It was a pretty good transfer. Yeah. Uh, you just don't uh, look. A 4K restoration all depends on the people manipulating the technology. That's right. To make it not look like shit yeah <laughs> and you know i i i kind of even some blu-rays the transfer doesn't really work well i think monster squads was okay yeah. uh but you know you've seen we've just had another example i guess what this week or last week but we had a big case what four or five years ago of you know a medieval piece of sculpture art that they're restoring and it gets sanded down and made into this just awful thing Yep. And I sometimes I think that's what restorations of of uh, movies with H on them do, just to bring it up to current kind of yeah. Marvel universe aesthetic. Yeah. And they're like, "Do we need that?" It's like, "I don't." How smooth does my face need to get? <laughs> my face is pretty smooth. I'm 13 in it, you know. Uh, you know, do, or do we really need to see? You know the the skin cells falling off of Dell's face when he's shaving in the bathroom. You're like how you know how you know how perfect do, do you need to get? Look, if a 4K version comes out, I'll celebrate it with everybody else. I just hope it's a good transfer. Um, but we've seen some examples that don't look real good. Yeah. Well, well I've, I've you know I've paid for a 4K TV, so I want to use it. I want to have your smooth face on my 4K TV. <laughs> and look, I hope it happens someday. You know that that would be amazing because again, like I you know I ran that gamut of the list of different media that people have. Like, hey, the new the next evolution is just super ultra high def and. Look, there's some action sequences, and some of the effects would be really badass, and you know, it, and if it's really done well. But that's where that kind of transfer and the technology can either really help or really hurt. What does that Wolfman in the phone booth transition look like in extreme digitized detail, where it's not necessarily real, but you know, it's a digital version of the real, and then just you know, really made sharp. 
hopefully that would look cool because that's all practical effects. Yeah. Can you 4K some old digital effects and make them look better? Absolutely. That's what technology is. But can you super 4K some practical effects that were as real as they get at the time? Yeah. That you know that would be kind of really weird and interesting. You know, does a 4K transition, you know, uh, transfer of Monster Squad get flat and just really vibrant, or does it does it have depth and some yeah. and and the shadow? You know, it depends. Uh, you know, we've all seen different versions of it. One of the scariest things I ever saw in my life, I was in a uh, like an electronic store, <laughs> like a Best Buy, or a, it might have been a Circuit City back then, uh, and I saw this giant rear projection TV. <laughs> that was showing the DVD transfer of Top Gun, and it looked awful. Yeah. It was the scariest thing, and I happened to walk in. I sat there and watched the movie because it's I love the movie, right? Uh, and it got to kind of the intimate scene between Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis, and I was like, "What am I watching? This is scary!" <laughs> like it was just not good. And it was I was like, "What is is it?" I was like, "Is it the TV?" Because you guys should not do this as the floor model. Or is this the disc we're watching that's just so weird and flat and almost look cartoonish? And I was like, no. So I'm always leery about something like that because I saw the sex scene in Top Gun in ultra like <laughs> Blu-ray on rear projection Sony TV. And like, I don't know, it was 2004 or something. It was just awful. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll make this the last one. John Jürgen Hudson is asking you, Andre, what are your memories of being on the A-Team and Knight Rider? <laughs> Always the two that come up first, right? Uh, <laughs> well, John, I'll tell you, it's and it's a great question because there's reasons those come up. I was very fortunate enough as a kid to do a lot of awesome episodics, uh, you know, a TV shows, uh, be, you know, a guest star on, on cool shows. Um one of the main reasons I was fortunate enough to do a lot of these cool shows is all of the actual television series that I was a part of never lasted more than one season. So, you know, my career was I'm the kid that did five or six TV shows that went one season instead of one show that went six seasons that everybody knows. Right. <laughs> uh, so in the interim, in those windows of open time, I got to do awesome shows like the A-Team and Knight Rider and um those were just regular kind of audition things. You, you get cast in them and you show up on set. And of course, when you're a kid at that time, you're already a fan of these shows because they've yeah. been on. So you're like, holy crap, I'm getting to do the A-Team. <laughs> and the A-Team was awesome because, uh, you know, who doesn't grow up wanting to be a lumberjack and who doesn't <laughs> want to hang out with the A-Team? I got to do both. So, yeah. I, you know, my... I always say this with a disclaimer. I'm pretty sure, if I'm wrong, please correct me, but I'm pretty sure the confidence level is high that I'm the only person that has ever chopped down a tree with Mr. T. So <laughs> that's pretty badass. And in Knight Rider, you know, totally what was cool about being an episode of Knight Rider is my character had nothing to do with Michael Knight or the plot line, I just got to hang out with Kit and do homework. And so that was, you know, who doesn't want to do that? Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, you get to sit in the car, you get to read the scenes and uh, then you see the show and you're like, hey, I'm talking with Kit. Uh, how many people get to do that? Not many. Not so, many. you know, you got, I was very fortunate enough, you know, in, in my entire 
you know, kid professional life of being on film and TV to do a lot of cool things. Uh, and you have to, uh, John, the one thing you take out of that, uh, you know, in, in your two examples, but I, you know, I put it in the whole kind of experience ball is you realize, yeah, people think that's really cool. And it is. And what you really have to understand is and appreciate is that not very many human beings get to do that. So you're in a very small group. And so you should learn and appreciate and understand that that's very cool to other people. And that means it should be cool to you as well, instead of just dismissing as that it's not important. And so, you know, being a kid actor, being in the, there's a ton of kid actors at any one time. There's a group of kids that do a majority of the work, you know, about 20% yeah. do yeah. 80% of the work, if that makes yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. And I think I was very fortunate enough to be in that 20% of my time. And you, you've got to appreciate that, that not very many, you know, people uh, get to be in that situation. So you have to appreciate that uh, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, Andre, thank you so much. Uh, really enjoyed that. We've, we've kept you for an hour and 15 minutes. I'm sorry for taking up an hour and 15. Oh, uh, that's, not, that's nothing. Trust me. <laughs> I'm sure we'll chat about other stuff. So let's set up another time. We'll go another hour and 15. We'll talk about something else. <laughs> Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely on because I bet Sherv's got more than three questions written down there. Oh man, yeah, let's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been an we'll honor. We'll do it. We'll do. We'll do. Uh, you know, we'll do. Um, Keener's <laughs> podcast redo version volume two, uh, return of the Sherv. Yeah, we'll do we, that. We can we can we can, re, we can reboot this episode of the podcast. It's, it's called. It's, yeah, it's called the reboot. Reboot. <laughs> Return of the Sheriff. We love it. Great. <laughs> oh, yeah. And Andre Gower, but that's not that's yeah, the yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, huge congratulations with Wolfman's Got Nods, mate. Uh, absolutely loved it. Like you say, it's doing really well. Everybody loves it. Just need to get it across the whole world now. Um, and, I, and I wish you every success, pal. Uh, I, I appreciate it. That, that's great to hear from you guys over there. I can't wait to get back over there and we'll hang out for sure. Uh, boy, you know, if there was only like, you know, Adam got to get an event or like, you know, maybe <laughs> Carnoustie will want me to come and do like, uh, you know, uh, Andre Gower plays Carnoustie again on Instagram live. Uh, you know, I'll do something <laughs> like that. Or, you know, Kings Barnes, you know, they're a little private, so they might be a little, you know, skeptical of that. But, uh, yep. you know, I'll come over for that and then we'll hang around and we'll have some, yep. you know, we'll have a pint or two and, yeah. uh, you know, we'll listen to listen to fun music and watch movies. Uh, I just got to get over there again. So, yeah, you yep. know, well, you guys make it happen. I'll try to make it happen. You know, we'll do yep. something. But uh, well, everybody well, stay safe and everybody stay safe and we'll make it happen soon. Yeah.